Thanks for joining us on Stand Strong in the Word podcast with author, speaker, and worldview expert, Jason Jimenez. Stand Strong in the Word podcast is devoted to walking listeners through the Bible in a fresh and powerful way. We pray your spirit is nourished as you gain new perspectives and a renewed appreciation for God's Word. Now, here's Jason Jimenez. What's up, my friend? Welcome to Stand Strong in the Word podcast. Jason Jimenez with you as always. So glad once again to be with you on today's podcast. Now, if you've been following along, you've noticed for the past few weeks, we've not had a podcast. And I've heard from some of you guys. And the reason for that, it was uh, my wife and I just took some time away. We went to Italy and had a great time. And so during that span, about two weeks, uh, we weren't doing any any ministry type stuff, just relaxing, no no recording podcasts, no videos, no writing, no speaking. It was just a great time away. So I'm pumped and excited to be back with you guys. And for an, another reason too, and most importantly, obviously, because on the podcast here, we study God's word. Today, we're going to be talking about the feeding of the 5,000 on podcast 54. And so this, as you know, is one of the most known stories throughout all of the gospels is the feeding of the 5,000. So the title of today's podcast is simply that, the feeding of the 5,000, because we all know it. And the other thing that's so cool about this is that every single gospel mentions this story. So if you listen to the podcast, but you don't get my notes, this really definitely for sure, my friend, is one that you want to check out with the notes because what I do and what I'm going to do on the podcast today is I'm going to just kind of read through jumping around. Now, obviously we do this a lot in the podcast as we're going through a chronological teaching of the scriptures, but today's a little different because like I said, John is inserted here where oftentimes we may be looking through the synoptic gospels, but John mentions this in John 6, 1 through 13 as well. So rather than just pick one particular passage to read, what I'm going to do is I'm going to be jumping around. And so I'll be referencing, you know, what passage of scripture that I'm reading now. I love this sort of thing. It does require a lot of work. So go to standstrongministries.org, click on podcast. And remember, all of the podcasts there, you can click on our study guides. And this one, you know, is 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 so rich with so much stuff, just the moving parts. And so when you kind of see it all meshed together, I just get pumped and excited because I'm like, okay, that makes better sense when you're looking at all four of the gospels and what they have to say rather than just one. So please, my friend, take advantage of that. It's there for your uh, pleasure. It's there for you to further your investigation, to continue to enrich yourself in God's word. I pray it's a blessing as always to you as it is to me. So without further ado, let's just jump right into this and let's get started. Okay. So in Matthew 14, verse 13, it says, now when Jesus heard this, and then Mark 6, 31 says, he said to his disciples, okay, so pause. Notice this phrase. Now, when Jesus heard this, what is Matthew talking about? Well, if you go back to our previous podcast, podcast 53, where we talked about mistakes and we were looking at John the Baptist's mistakes, particularly and we, we saw that after he was imprisoned, he was eventually beheaded. And the disciples were told, his disciples, John's disciples in Matthew 14, verse 12, they came, they took the body of Jesus and they buried it. And then they went and they told Jesus. So now, as we see here in Matthew 14, verse 13, Jesus hears about this. And he decides to withdraw by boat privately to a solitary place. Now what Mark 6 31 says, and he says to his disciples, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and let's rest a while. For many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. 
So as I mentioned before, remember the disciples, okay, they're exhausted. They did some great, fantastic work evangelistically. This outreach is exploding. Their reputations as Jesus' disciples is growing. Jesus is emotional about John the Baptist, his death. And so Jesus encourages them to go rest. So you can go back to Matthew 10, 1 through 14, and look at the teachings that Jesus taught them as well. Now this phrase there was no leisure even to eat literally means there was no opportunity or convenient time for them to do anything for themselves. So Jesus is emotional. Jesus is tired. The disciples are tired, as you can imagine. So now it says in Mark 6, 32, it says, and they went away in the boat. And then John 6, 1 says, to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. Now, remember this, this town lay on its northeastern side. This is where the Jordan empties itself into that region. This is the dominions of Herod Antipas within the dominions of Philip the Tetrarch, okay, uh, who raised it from a village to a city. So he honored this place and an honor of uh, uh, Julia, the daughter of Augustus. So this became, you know, kind of a happening uh, town. This is where they were going to go. And then Mark 6.33 says, now many saw them going and recognized them. So remember, the fame of the disciples as well, the crowds are recognizing them. So if they see one disciple, they're assuming they're all together. And if they're all together, they then assume, and most of the time they're correct, that Jesus is with them. So let's go follow them because maybe Jesus can do some miracles for us. So they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. John 6 verse 2 says, because they saw the signs that he was doing on, that he was doing on the sick. So they wanted those healings. The people were excited, as you can imagine, to get to Jesus. Jesus had fled, right? They were going to go do something private to go rest, to be among themselves. So they didn't know where they went. And they wanted to see Jesus in person. So they see the disciples. And so they're chasing them down. And again, this points to not just excitement, obviously, but desperation that these multitudes uh, all had. You know, the, the, the multitudes of people equals multitudes of problems. And this phrase saw the signs. Remember, many of those days they flocked to shrines. They went to hot springs for healing. But this multitude, they weren't running necessarily to a shrine. They were running to a to the person of Jesus because his miracles were undeniable. Matthew 14 verse 14 says, and Jesus went ashore. And then John 6, 3 says, Jesus went on to the mountain from when he went to ashore and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of Jews was at hand. Again, this area, this area of the mountains is the Golan Heights. Okay, so it gives you a geographical perspective and the cool thing is when we're, again, we're putting these, uh, the gospel accounts together, we don't just get location. We also get time frame. Notice it says now the Passover, this is again, the outline of John. John uses the Passovers, um, frequently gives all three of them that Jesus had while he was doing his public Galilean ministry. This is the second account. So this is probably within the time frame of February, March of eighty thirty two. Uh, again, the second Passover that's mentioned by John. The first, if you recall, was back in John chapter 2, verses 13 and 23. And the last will be in John 13, verse 1. Now, David Guzik says, quote, Passover is associated with the exodus and God's sustenance of Israel in the wilderness. Jesus would soon sustain his multitude in their small wilderness with bread from heaven, both literally 
and spiritually, end quote. That's important because what's going to happen here is Jesus is going to be showing the people that he is Yahweh. He's not just a miracle worker. But if you go back from the Old Testament to now, you're going to see that he is Yahweh. Now it says in John 6 verse 5, lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, and Luke 9 verse 11 says, and he welcomes them. Why? Because Matthew 14 verse 14 says, because he had compassion on them. Why? Because Mark 6 34 says, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. I find that fascinating. In all the accounts, Jesus looks at the crowd and John, we're told in Luke that he welcomes them. Matthew gives us an account that he has compassion for them. And Mark gives us the reason why for all that, because he sees them as sheep without a shepherd. Now this phrase, sheep without a shepherd, this is an Old Testament expression that depicts Israel's oppressive state, you know, their, their, their state of mind that they were in. And even currently now, uh, and, and not just in, in the people, but also the leadership. You go back to Ezekiel 34, you see this description. What's cool about this is that Mark puts this in sheep without a shepherd. Remember, he gets his account from Peter. I believe that at this time, as the crowd's coming, they're supposed to be resting, but then Jesus is going to be receiving this crowd beyond the, 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 the disciples' imagination. Remember, they all went and were sent out. I guarantee that when the disciples went out just a few days or a few weeks prior to all this, they weren't reaching 10 to 12,000 people. Remember, 5,000 meaning men. That's not including their wives and their children. So this could be even the ballparks of 15 plus thousand people. So, I mean, you can think of the, you can imagine the disciples, hey, I thought we we're going to be resting. And now we're going to be having one of the largest sermons that you're, you've given to date. And so I, I, I really think, you know, behind these accounts, remember the disciples in writing the followers and the eyewitnesses and the contemporaries of people who wrote the gospels, you can't mention every detail and give every account. That's impossible, right? So they had to consolidate. But I can imagine even Mark putting that phrase out there that Peter probably turning to Jesus and, and inquiring as to, I thought we we're supposed to be resting, yet you're going to be receiving these people. Probably tells Peter, these are sheep, Peter. They're sheep without a shepherd and I'm their shepherd. And Peter understanding more and more the good shepherd, understanding the Psalm 23. In Mark 6, 34, when Jesus receives them as sheep without a shepherd says, and he began to teach them many things. Again, that's what a good teacher does, right? And then in Luke 9, verse 11, it tells us what he was teaching. It says he was teaching them about the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. So as Jesus was telling the people about the kingdom of God, as he received them in love and had compassion over them, began to teach them, saying that you guys are worthy. I'm not just an exclusive rabbi. I am a teacher to all of you, right? he begins to heal people. Then we're told in Matthew 14, verse 15, now when it was evening, so time has gone past, right? It's getting darker. It's getting, it's getting later in the day. The disciples came to Jesus and they said, Jesus, this is a desolate place and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages. Luke 9, 12 says, to find lodging, meaning, hey, let them go rest. Remember, we're supposed to be resting and then they can come back. And then the last part of verse 15 of Matthew 14 says, and let them go buy food for themselves. Okay. Now this phrase, the desolate, they were in a desolate place. Again, geographically, the gospels do a great job 
and setting the situation, right? The, the, the setting here is an environment that is barren, meaning that there's nothing to offer here. Again, remember the sheep without a shepherd gives a depiction of Israel's oppressive state of leadership. Well, here, this desolate place, this barren place, if you will, is a depiction of Israel's wanderness in the wilderness. And you remember that God guiding them and providing for them miraculously. And what is Jesus currently doing right now in this barren place, in this, in this, in this wilderness? He's teaching them. He's guiding them. He's instructing them. But he's also healing them. And then he's going to feed them. So this is a great picture of Jesus once again showing the people that he is Yahweh. Now, when the Bible says here that the day is now over, this is probably rough around 3 p.m. And so Jesus is about to perform this miracle and feeding over 10,000 plus people before sunset. Matthew 14, 16 says, but Jesus says to them, remember he's responding now when they're saying, hey, get rid of these people, let them come back maybe. He says, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. Then notice John 6, 5 through 7, putting in context, Jesus says to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not even be enough to feed the people. And they were told in Mark 6, 37, and they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And then Luke 9, 14 says, for they were about 5,000 men. So Jesus noticed, he says, they're not going anywhere. You guys need to do something about this to feed them. And then he turns to Philip, who's again, not mentioned throughout scripture much. And you wonder, well, why is Philip the one that's being presented here? Why did Jesus turn to Philip? Well, if you remember, he's from Bethsaida. So he would have a better idea in this region where to go to get resources. Now we're told that Jesus, he himself knew what he would do, obviously. And so he was posing the question because he was testing his disciples to see if they would call upon God for assistance. You see this in Genesis 22. We were told this later, the half-brother Jesus, James, reminds us, you know, to look to God, to ask for God for provision, 1 Peter 1, verse 7 as well. So rather than try and rationalize the impossible or go out there looking for some type of resources that you can manufacture and put together and maybe provide, remember, they just came back from training and evangelism. And what was the one fundamental thing in Matthew 10 that Jesus taught them is you guys need to learn not to rely on worldly things, rely on God. That's all you need. Now they find themselves, right, challenged by Jesus, Jesus looking directly at Philip. Now, if you and I have ever been in a situation where a boss or people look to us for answers, it's intimidating. It can be overwhelming sometimes. We can get embarrassed. You can feel inadequate. Could you imagine Philip? Could you imagine the disciples? Jesus says, they're not leaving. You find answers to feed these people. So they have to find enough food to feed thousands of people who are hungry and they're looking to them for help. Now, 200 denarii, remember a silver denarius was considered a day's wages. So what is, what is Philip basically saying? He's basically calculated that it would take a year's wages almost, a substantial amount of money, which they clearly did not have all of them together, right? Looking in their pockets, trying to figure out how much money you have, how much food you have. They would not 
remotely touch even the 10 to 12,000, 15,000, whatever people, women, children, men. So Philip is calculating. He's figuring things out. He knows the region and now knows what happens in Mark 6.38. Well, how many loaves do you have? Go and see is the question that Jesus poses them. And it says, and when they found out, and he jumped to John 6, 8 through 9, one, is, one of his disciples, Andrew, so now Andrew's being introduced, which is Simon Peter's brother, we're told by John. He says, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? So now you can imagine the disciples are going around to a crowd of people. They're tired. They're exhausted. They wanted them to leave. And now they got to figure out a way to feed these people. So Andrew comes back and he finds a boy. Now, this is what's so interesting. Philip, again, remember, he's got the calculator out and he's trying to look at the pros and cons and he's calculating the cost to feed the multitude. And Andrew's looking to the crowd for resources to provide these resources back to the crowd. Yet all the while, who's looking to Jesus for the answer? No one. Now, this, this, this child, we don't know how, how old, he has five barley loaves and he has two fish. Now, to be honest, I'm not going to jump in here and be like, okay, this is what the five barley loaves represents and what the two fish represents. And you hear these sermons and books come out, all that kind of stuff. You know what? To be honest, I don't really want to get into all that kind of stuff. I mean, great if people like to do that sometimes, but I think it takes away from the context of scripture what we actually have. I don't think there's always symbols that are hidden in things, but particularly in this passage the bottom line is what's what are barley loaves well remember wheat was too expensive for the poor so what the poor would do is they would use barley remember barley was used to feed animals and if you also recall in second kings 4 verses 42 through 44 the prophet elisha he fed a hundred men with what 20 barley loaves so jesus here who's greater than elisha is going to take these five barley loaves and he's going to feed the thousands of men and women and children with it and with the two fish. Now, this phrase here, the, the, this, the, to mention the two fish and John's usage of the term, literally in Greek just carries over as delicacies, more like a special treat. So here's the bottom line. Barley loaves, two fish coming from a child says a lot. One, he's poor, which speaks to the crowd of people that are there, which goes back to the fact that Jesus knows that they're oppressed that they are in need and he didn't want to risk them leaving him and possibly dying on their journey back home because there was no place to stay and there was no food for them to eat. And case in point, as the disciples are going around trying to find resources, they come upon a child with five barley loaves and two fish. Now he's probably there with his parents, who knows? But what we can deduce is this, five barley loaves and two fish, again, being a delicacy, this is more like a snack for the day. So this gives us insight when we take all the gospels into account. It gives us insight into the condition of the people and the situation at hand. So this speaks to the love, the insight, the wisdom, the compassion, the healing power, all these things that Jesus has for the people. So what does he do in response? It says, then Jesus commanded. Okay, so the disciples failed. They could not solve this problem. So Jesus commands all of them to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. Now this phrase, the groups on a green grass, again, it's a beautiful picture. 
of Jesus as the great shepherd. He's calling the people to lay down in green pastures because he's going to restore their souls physically and spiritually. He's going to restore them. In Psalm 23, we see a beautiful picture of that. Again, Jesus is taking a lot of the Old Testament and he's presenting it right in front of these people. And then we're told in Matthew 14, verse 18, and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and he said a blessing. John 6, 11 says he gives thanks. And then back to Matthew 14, verse 19, and he broke the loaves and he gives them to the disciples and the disciples give them to the crowds. Back then, it was very customary for Jews to give thanks before a meal. A common prayer went something like this. Blessed be thou, O Lord, our God, the King of the world, who produced bread out of the earth. So Jesus gives thanks. And when he, when he brings down the five loaves and the two fish, I mean, I always envision, I'm trying to picture, what did that look like? How is it just being recreated in front of people to feed all these people? Well, we're told in Matthew 14, verse 20, and they all ate. John 6, 11 says, as much as they wanted. And then back to Matthew 14, verse 20, and they were satisfied. John 6, 12 says, and when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. And then Matthew 14, 21, and they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces left over. And those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. This, this, this little phrase here can often be lost here in Matthew 14, verse 21. They took up 12 baskets. I believe that Jesus wanted the disciples to know something, that he was more than enough. Think about how you would have felt. You got smart guy over there, Philip, who's trying to calculate what it's going to cost and how we're going to raise this money, maybe do a fundraiser, if you will, get a loan. You know, I know the area, maybe I can try to put some things together, get some farmers together, get some fishermen together, you know, but that's going to take forever because there's no one around. Just the logistics. You could, it was one thing to have the money, but just the logistics of getting all those resources in a short period of time when the sun's going down. Andrew's going out there, mingling with the people, asking an embarrassment probably. Hey, we want to provide for you guys, but you got to provide for us first. That was the best the disciples can come up with. And none of them looked at Jesus. So as I conclude this podcast, what is the big thing right there in front of you and me? We need to look to Jesus. You and I need to stop doing things in our own strength. We need to have faith in him to know that he will, will deliver, that he will come through. He is faithful. You and I are not. When you and I are faithless, he remains faithful. May that be true in your life, my friend. So if there's anything in your life right now that's hindered you or preventing you or you're trying to do things in your own strength, just repent of it right now. Turn back to Jesus. He will restore you. He will lift you up. And remember, he is the one that will lay us down on green pastures. When you and I take things into our own hands and we try to control everything, it's going to be a disaster and we will not be restful and we clearly will not be restored. So the last thing I want to say this because this is pretty insightful. He says, let's go to a desolate place. Let's find rest. The crowds come. They want to get rid of them. The disciples want to get rid of the crowds. Jesus, no, you find the answer to bring healing, to bring provision for them. They can't. Jesus does it. Do you think that they found rest, the disciples? Probably not the way that they thought they were going to have rest. But I guarantee after seeing that, they found rest in Jesus. So my friends, I love you. Thank you for tuning in. And I'll see you on the next podcast. For more information on Jason Jimenez and Stand Strong Ministries, visit us at standstrongministries.org. 
Thank you for listening and keep standing strong in the Word of God.